Welcome to another episode of Bullyproof, where we shine a spotlight on workplace bullying. In today's episode, we are going to look at the dangers of social media and online gaming and the importance of keeping our children safe online. And we're going to hear the story of one parent whose son became a cyber addict hooked on sci-fi games after being bullied by one of his teachers. I am Marilise de Villiers, your host. I'm a mindset and performance coach and the author of Roar, How to Tame the Bully, Inside and Out. We live in a constantly connected world, yet people have never felt more disconnected. You're listening to Bullyproof, a podcast to shine a spotlight on workplace bullying, today's silent epidemic. Research indicates that 75% of workers will either be a target, witness bullying, or both. Each episode will explore how targets can bullyproof themselves and how leaders and HR can bullyproof their organizations. It's time to find your roar. Now, here's your host, Marilise de Villiers. I'm delighted to welcome Linda Jubilee as my guest today. Linda is a news presenter, media trainer, and award-winning journalist. During her career, she has worked for major broadcasters, including ITV, Fox News, CNBC Asia, and Sky News. Her unique and comprehensive approach to media training includes presentation skills, behavioral analysis, coaching and public speaking, and business performance. Her magazine, River Tribe, published to 45 thousand people in Richmond went online when COVID hit. It focuses on well-being and empowerment. She supports a range of charities, including the Victoria Foundation, for whom she is an ambassador. TVF supports young medics to take up frontline jobs in the NHS. Linda, welcome today. I'm so delighted to have you with me. Hi, Mary Lees. So I'm going to fire straight away and ask um, ask you to tell us a little bit about you and what gets Linda out of bed in the mornings. <laughs> uh, I guess life gets me out of bed. I, um, I've always been a journalist since I was a very young woman. I was 19 when I first went to the Western Mail. The reason why I became a journalist is because I wanted a front seat in watching life unfold and sometimes in watching history unfold. Um, I... I, what I think I do, Mary Lise, is, is I try and get up very early every morning, six o'clock. But on the recommendation of a very, very good life coach I met, I take the first half hour literally to think about life, to think about the challenges of the day ahead. So sometimes I take a longer look at my life. But each day I think, what can I knock off my list today? What can I achieve? And I think that gives me a sense of power and dynamism, I guess, uh, as I begin to work. Amazing. And I've, I've loved something you've, you've said to me before is it's about making your whole life work. Um, and I think that that spirit of waking up in the mornings and thinking about your life holistically and being intentional and thinking about what can I do today um, is, is, is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think that um, 
it's not just about your actual work, your career, although I do think there's um, enormous uh, fulfillment to be had that way. But I do think it's about your whole life. It's about uh, your close friendships, your family, sometimes your advanced hobbies, your beliefs, your values, and not neglecting other sides of your life aside from work. So when I do media training, alongside that, sometimes I do some personal development coaching. And I, 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 I do quarters. I say what it is, is your job, your advanced hobby, your beliefs, and, and your family and friends, the circle that you exist within, the circle that makes you tick. Oh, I absolutely love that. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. And um, today we're going to talk about something which is perhaps a hard topic to talk about, but, you know, it's so important for uh, my viewers and listeners to hear this and to hear your story. So um, you know that I'm all about finding your roar. So thank you for roaring today and, and sharing your story. Um, but, but this is about your son, Connor, and the challenges that he had as a, as a teenager. Would you mind just sharing um, a, a bit of a, a backdrop of that story? Okay, so I have three children, and um, I make no uh, secret of the fact that they are my world, if you like. Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do some fantastic stories in my life, but my children are by far the most important thing to me. So when something goes wrong, uh, I'm immediately on it, I hope. Um, someone once said to me as well that you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Mm -hmm. And that for me is very, very true. So when this whole scenario started rolling out with my eldest boy, um, I was very, very worried. In fact, I didn't really notice anything was wrong because he became very quiet. He was in his room. There were none of the normal teenage tantrums. He wasn't out, you know, with a bottle of cider, getting drunk with his mates. Um, he wasn't really doing anything wrong. So in the initial stages, I didn't know anything was up. And the irony was, at the same time early on, I was doing several stories for ITV's Tonight with Trevor McDonald, where I was literally researching depression in teenagers um, and actually cyber addiction issues without realising what had started to go on in my own home. So I travelled to the very first cyber addiction unit in Holland. Um, interestingly, the Sunday Times has just done one about a centre starting here, and that's only last week. And that's 10 years after they set one up in Holland. I travelled to the University of Chicago, where they actually teach um, cyber gaming design as, as one of their degrees. And yet I hadn't noticed. In fact, um, the person who drew me to, to realise what was going on was Connor's dentist. And he called me in and he said, I think something's really wrong. And I said, what do you mean? Obviously with his teeth. And he said, he's got a lot of cavities. Now, normally I would talk to a, a young teenager and they would start stamping and screaming and, you know, saying, I do brush my teeth and, you know, putting up a big fight. And he just stood there and said, I know, uh, I just don't care. And he said, I think you will find that there's an element of depression in there. I want you to try and get some help. And it took a long time to get help. And bear in mind, I, I had access to the guys in Amsterdam, to other addiction experts that I'd done as part of the many social issues I'd covered for tonight with Trevor McDonald's. 
And I still found it difficult to handle the situation in which I found myself. And I, I know that there are thousands of parents um, then and now, probably millions, who are in the same position. Yeah. So, so Linda, um, wow, that's that's so incredibly powerful. And um, um, I'm, 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 I've got a thousand questions in my mind, um, but I really wanted to sort of um, zone in on that moment, that pivotal moment when things started to change. What, what happened? Um, I I could see that things were kind of rolling out of control and Connor was going to um, a school which certainly had some challenges. It was one of the last Jesuit schools left in the United Kingdom. And I, I think that he was bullied by a teacher there. I think that they uh, lost control of the situation. In fact, they excluded him without really having any meaningful conversations with me. We moved him to another school nearby, which had a very unusual approach. And I credit that school with actually being able to get him back into the confines of of an academic situation. Uh, The real turning point came when we sent him um, to a school, a college in central London called MPW. And and I remember the the, uh, Mr. Keddy, I remember the name of the teacher who, who started to help him on a one-to-one basis to write essays properly. Um, in fact, history was one of his A-levels. Um, and, and I knew that he started to trust to trust adults, to trust figures in authority again. And gradually, he could rebuild the situation brick by brick. And it, it was by no means a, a quick turnaround. I often compare it to a Williamson turn, which is when an ocean liner has to turn around in the middle of a big stretch of water. But um, I can remember walking across the concourse at Waterloo Station and the phone going, and it was Connor's principal. And, and I can remember, I didn't know what this was, but I, my vision started to shake a little bit. I know now that that was probably a high blood pressure spike. And I, I, I was so nervous about the phone call. And all I can remember is him saying, we think there's been a transformation. We put your son on the highest possible trajectory for university entrance. Wow. Powerful. That is incredible. And um, I know you're very proud of him today and for how he's turned um, his life around. Um, yeah, he, 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 he went to university. I mean, I was up I, I, all night waiting for these results and, and he got to do economics um, at the University of Essex. Um, he was then, and I remember where I was when I heard all of these messages, it meant so much to me, but he was he was awarded a ten thousand pound grant in order to mentor and coach younger students, um, and so he did a master's with that money in this country, and then he was chosen by his university to be an ambassador and go to the University of Constance in Germany, uh, where which has a fantastic master's program in behavioural economics. Um, he um, he now is an, an economist with the government, um, and. Not between you and me, because let's hope loads of people listen. He won promotion just this week, um, and he's been put on a fast track list. So he's he, he has transformed his life, and and make no mistake, he did it. Yes, of he did the heavy lifting, yes. and I am very proud of him. And and I love that because I'm all about how do you take adversity and how do you turn that into your superpower for success. And I literally I literally think that it's it's a tough 
the tough challenges, you know, the, the real trauma, the real suffering that we go through in our lives that, that can really um, catapult us to become um, our own kind of superheroes in our own story, you know, and I think that that is, Conor is such a fantastic example of that where he's not only bounced back from that adversity, but he's also kind of bounced beyond, you know, he's kind of, I kind of have this image of Buzz Lightyear in my head. We're going to go to infinity and beyond. Um, I think that's that's so powerful. And I think, you know, for any, any mother who... Um, have an experience like that with their children. Uh, I think the big the big lesson that you know um, you've just kind of highlighted that you've learned is that he had to do the work. He had to want to get better. He had to want to change. You couldn't do the work for him. I think that's really important. And maybe we'll come on later to talk about some of the the, the um, advice that you will give to parents. Before we do that, though, I just want to pick up on the you mentioned bullying that. Bullying was sort of a catalyst for him um, getting into that sort of uh, cyber addiction and depression state. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, I didn't. Obviously, I didn't realise it was going on to start with. But he had this real fear about going to school. Uh, and one of the things that did happen is I found him sitting in the pouring rain one day on a park bench um, because he wouldn't go to school. I found him wrapped up in a blanket and sitting inside a, a closet in, in the house when I believed he was at school. And uh, I knew that there was a real fear. And the problem was, uh, amongst other things, his treatment by a particular teacher. Um, make no mistake, he made great friends at that school. But this this destroyed his faith, I think, partly in, in, um, in, in authority, in, in authoritative figures in his life. So several things happened at once. And I've spoken to many psychiatrists and psychologists about this, but it was kind of a perfect storm where his father and I got divorced. We moved house. He had a bad traffic accident. It lent him with um, an impairment, which, which is now largely cleared up. But that all together pushed him into a terribly fearful state. So what I want to say as well is the cyber game wasn't a violent game. It was a kind of almost holistic medieval game built around a guild and 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 he had a character in the guild which gave him a sort of safe haven and it gave him some standing within the online community and when you play those big multi-role combat games or competitive games um they're they're real people they're real people all over the world playing them so he felt safe within that community. And that's why he stayed in that community, because that's what gave him his haven. In fact, when he left, I can remember him coming up, knocking on my bedroom door, kneeling down by the bed and saying, I've decided to leave. I know that I have to break out of this because I have to try and succeed now. Um, and he was kneeling on the ground and he was clearly scared to leave because, the, because he had to actually leave a particular relationship with a real person. And um, he he, uh, he sold his character for £500 and he could have gone upwards to 2500 I mean, these games are really, really advanced. They are, in fact, very creative and they can be very useful. He still plays these games, as do his brother and his sister. But it represented this haven for him, which kept him away from other things that he could be achieving. So he left and then he decided that he was just going to push on up the mountain. Wow, incredible. And and so what does what does an addiction, a cyber addiction look like? Like what is it like on a day? What is a day in Connor's life at the kind of the worst time? Look, what did it look like? 
Well, he, he would be on the game for like 14, 15 hours and he wouldn't leave the room. He would eat in the room and he would stay in the room. And, and that was part of the attraction of the game when you're going through incredibly anxious periods. Um, and the problem is, it, as I've said, it means that you can't achieve anything else. Everything else, your health, your mental well-being, your ability to achieve at school or with your real friends, not your virtual friends, goes by the by. Yeah, yeah. And I guess the, the lack of sleep. Um, how many hours did he sleep, for example? Very few. And that that is quite damaging. Um, so so that's a very, very big downside because that has all sorts of knock-on effects. Um, but one of the good things is when, and he put on a lot of weight, because if you're eating rubbish all the time, you can put on stones in weight. Um, but And he was transformed by university. I mean, he literally came home one term and I was with a friend in my house and he was standing in the kitchen and I said, Connor's home. And he's, you know, it's a group of his friends here. She walked over to him and said, could you just go and get Connor for me? Because I'd really like to say hello. (laughs) And it was Connor. (laughs) She didn't recognise him. And I I think that's just incredible because it's like a downward spiral is very difficult to deal with. But an upward spiral is is also has its own momentum. Once one good thing happens, another good thing and another good thing. And so you just need to get on that track. You just need to get on that upward spiral. And I love that because, I I mean, that's kind of what you said in the beginning about getting up every morning and thinking about what can you do, mm. do because it is about, I, I always say to people, it's baby steps. And, and it's about also getting yourself into that energy where you focus on what you have achieved and not what you haven't done. Because we are yeah. so quick to focus on the things that we haven't actually achieved, aren't we? Yeah, and he's very, um, you know, he, he went with his father to Australia when the bushfires were on and he came back. And he said, right, you know, I got to do something. So he found the Cool Earth charity and he he did 150K around Richmond Park on his own during lockdown and raised 1,500 pounds and just pushed the money over to the charity. You know, he, he's uh, he's someone that that believes in the possible. Yeah. He uh, He's a very, very impressive young man now. He, he's interested in going to conferences he's interested in finding out about life he is a godfather to a little girl he loves his circle of friends they live all over Europe and he always supports the charities that will back a cause that means something to him right now yeah and it, it must be so wonderful to sort of any parent out there listening um, or watching to actually realize that you know whatever pain your child is experiencing right now or challenges that they they can and will get through it and you know the um, the art of the possible as you say he believes in possibility I think that's the the big deal um, here in, in terms of helping your child see that and and um, supporting them along the way not trying to fix them I think that's the key key thing. And I think the I remember interviewing someone I regard as one of the greatest addiction experts in in the country, uh, Robin Lefebvre, who ran ran the Promise Centre in in Kensington. I interviewed a couple of times, um, and you 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 start young. I mean, you you have to love your child, you know, like really love them, 
as we all do, I'm sure, but you have to take your own ego out of the situation and you have to concentrate on what's best for your child and with other siblings as well. Uh, And if you do that and you, you form the right kind of attachment with them when they're babies, then then that will give you the groundwork. It, it will hopefully give you an unbreakable thread so that when you do hit the road bumps, which are inevitable for everyone, that line of communication is strong enough to help you power through various difficulties. Mm-hmm. But it starts, it starts at birth. You have to form a really healthy, strong attachment with your baby. And I think especially for new mothers, I think that is, um, I would say, new working mothers. I think often we, um, you know, and I've certainly um, had this experience myself, you know, having having my children fairly young as a career woman, there were lots of tensions going on um, for me around you know, always focusing on wanting to go back to work. And in and, and, and hindsight, I was just like, actually, you know, I was just meant to be with my baby at that time. And I and I sometimes I think, oh, I should have just enjoyed it more and connected more. And there's no point looking back, I know, but it is you do the best what you can do in the time, yeah. at, at, the, at the time. But I, I genuinely um, believe that. I genuinely believe that sort of first, I think the first five years, as you say, are the sort of the forming years. They're really critical. I I don't think it matters whether you work outside the home or you don't. It it is about your relationship with your baby and sowing the seeds so that there's something in the emotional bank for when you've got to spend stuff later on. That's it's, it's if you think of it in terms of a transaction, you know, you might you might get that right. It's not about having the right bedroom or the right baby blanket or the right designer gear or the right pram or the right this or or heaven forbid going to the right school that's on the right list or eventually the right university that's a Russell Group University it's about your relationship with your baby and then your relationship with your child yes I love that and I want all the all the working mums out there with young kids to to really listen to this and to really embrace that um I think that's the the crux for me is that sort of I love I love the uh thinking about it as a emotional transaction and putting some putting some of some in the bank for when you're really going to need it I love that I really love that yeah and it's 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 all about time what what your child wants is your time and your attention and your care and and it doesn't matter that you're not with them if you're out at work provided you carve out the right amount of time for them provided you prioritize them you work okay but then they are the very next call on your time and when things go wrong they're the first call on your time yeah absolutely that's wonderful so um linda i'm I'm conscious that there might be some parents out there listening um and feeling like, you know, this is me, I'm going through a really um, challenging time with my child right now. And, you know, there's some some form of addiction in some way, shape or form. Um, what, um, what are some of the red flags, first of all, that you would advise us to look for? I think um, it, it's not really the, the rebellious, loud behaviour, it's withdrawn behaviour that can signal a very serious issue. So I would always watch for that. It's not that I would watch for signs necessarily, but it's that I would continue building the kind of connection you should have with your children. So 
And, and as I said, that starts when they're very young. So the golden rule is don't stop talking. Always communicate with your children so that you know what's going on. And Connor's brother said to me once that Connor believed all the way through that no matter what was going wrong, he knew he could always come to me and talk to me. And it's true that um, I, you know, we all make huge mistakes. <laughs> I can think of so many I've made. But um, each of my children will call me when they have a problem. They'll call me immediately and they'll talk it through. No matter, one thirty in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, which they have done, I will still talk to them and I will try not, not to put my view on top of them, not to put my ego into the equation, but to try and think, put myself into their shoes and try and find a solution. So uh, the withdrawn behaviour is a very, very big flag. I, I think there are very simple things like putting on too much weight. Uh, and th that's a problem as well. I'm sure that that's a problem. Um, and there are other sort of physical things you can watch for. But it's, it's, it's not what shouldn't be happening because none of that should be happening. It's what should be happening. Yeah. Don't think about what what you don't do. Think about what you do do. Yeah. That that's what can save lives. And you know, I I've got friends. I've got one friend whose son killed himself, and you know, it, the boy hanged himself in in the woods outside of Eshin, uh, where where I live in London. And um, and I know another boy who did the same. And, and it's terrifying to have a child who has an addiction. It is terrifying to think of your child being bullied either by a teacher or by school children. It's a terrifying, terrifying experience. Um, but the key to this is always to keep talking. Linda, are there any, any charities out there um, that support parents who um, have specifically this um, issue around addiction. You've mentioned earlier that it's only now after 10 years since you've been to the first um, addiction centre, cyber addiction centre in, in, in the Netherlands, that yeah. they're now having one here as well, but, but specifically related to the sort of the cyber and the online gaming. Where, where would people go for, for help? I think there are a couple of specialist charities so they don't kind of spring to mind at the moment. Uh, so it is very difficult for people to get um, to get advice about this. But I would say, and, and this occurred to me when I was covering various stories, that, it, of course, it's about the specific addiction. But it could be drink, it could be drugs, it could be cigarettes, it could be a combination of all three, it could be gaming addiction, it could be anything. Yes, that could be. But, yeah. but it's not about the addiction, it's about what's causing it. Yes, and so I, I I think it's better to go to the cause, F find a charity that supports empowering children. Um, my friend runs the Girls Friendly Society, which is a hundred and fifty year old charity which supports the empowerment of young girls. Um, and and I think it's important to go to that charity and find out what you can do to build a strong, resilient child. Um, and they may then, if the problem already exists they may be in a good place to divert you to the charities that can help you if there's a specific problem. But it's like, what did Sun Tzu say? The first rule of war, don't go. <laughs> if, if you can avoid these problems with your children, and, and there are ways of doing that by building resilient children, that's the way to go. 
Thank you. That's wonderful. And um, I think from a just from a sort of cybersecurity perspective, you know, there is um, the the National Cybersecurity Centre. They have a very comprehensive website, and there's there's really a lot of advice around specifically how to keep your children safe online. Yes. So yeah. really check that out as well, because I mean, yeah, 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 that's a slightly different area. Yes. Uh, but but really worth watching. Cybersecurity is very 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 important issue. Yes. Yeah, I guess I guess I kind of use cyber in in the sense that we're we're online basically twenty four seven. We're connected twenty four seven now. So there's there's obviously cyber risks that come with that because the bad guys are always out to catch us, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I do know. I know. I did a lot of valuable work with um well, I hope it was, with um CEOPS, which is a child online um exploitation protection um squad. And uh, and they I don't know if that's not been absorbed into something else now, but they did do a lot of valuable work. So it's worth doing some research around them because that's quite important. Fantastic. Thank you. So what would be your sort of, um, you know, key message? I think you've already shared so much, so much gold in terms of, you know, the connection. I think what, what, what stand out for me from what you said today is that connection that you build with your child that from, from day one and that op- open relationship, that open communication is, is so key. Um, but what would you sort of say, you know, to, to parents out there to inspire them, um, to give them hope? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, for, for those people contemplating being parents or with very young children, it's very simple. Just love your child. Love your child and bury your ego. Um, and start building a line of communication as we've discussed, Marilise, because you will find that ultimately that is the lifesaver. Thank you, Linda. That is ending on a very, very high note. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your story today. Um, very courageous, very um, a very big roar indeed today, and I'm sure it's going to help a lot of parents out there. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Marilise. Join us again next time for more essential insights and practical tips on the Bullyproof podcast. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with Marilise on social media or via her website, www.marilise-de-villiers.com. Don't forget to review and rate this show on iTunes. Thanks for listening.